Good morning. We are recording today our 23rd episode on what is International Mother Language Day, which is exciting, as it's a day we can really promote our love of languages, multilingualism and a cultural diversity. We've got a fantastic guest for you today, Marcelo Starikoff, author of The Joy of Not Knowing. Hello, Marcelo. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners today? Oh, hello, Helen. It's so exciting to be with you today. Um, And I just can't tell you how meaningful it is. Um, that it's coincided with Mother Languages Day. It's, it's, it could not, I could not be a more um, more fabulous moment to, to be doing this with you and to be together and to be celebrating um, Mother Languages. So, yeah, yeah, really, really delighted. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm Marcelo. I'm currently um, the joint course lead at the University of Sussex for the BA primary and early years um, programme. Um, which I'm really, really enjoying every minute of it. Um, and uh, previously to that, um, well, I, I started my career as a, as a scientist, actually at Sussex. My under was I was oh, also, okay. and then and the, yeah, my undergraduate degree was at Sussex, um, and then I pursued a career in science. Um, so I was. Um, I did a PhD at the London Hospital um, uh, looking at uh, liver cells and then moved to Bristol and did um, five years or so as a postdoc looking at red blood cells. So I just, it was, oh, okay. career, yeah. And then it was, um, I was around 30 or so. Um, I decided to um, make a career change and I'd retrained as a primary school teacher. So I did a PGC in um, in primary education in Bristol, which was so fabulous. And I've just, it's just I've been fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then I started to teach and I was very, very lucky to be in two amazing schools in Bristol that were at the time, sort of in the early 2000s, really progressive and really open to innovation and to new ideas and to trying things out and to seeing what worked really well with um with the children and we became um very involved with um the work that the university of bristol were doing in terms of um lifelong learning dispositions and characteristics within the primary school so we did a lot of work around um in implementing that into the primary phase and I became really interested and fascinated by I guess having come from a research science background the idea of um, children in the classroom also being like little scientists who would come in every day to find out something that they didn't know so the, the kind of process of thinking like a scientist really fascinated me and getting children to Thing like science and, if, and and what i always think um helen is if you think if you're thinking like a scientist you are you tend to be very comfortable with uncertainty yeah. because a scientist on purpose has to seek out things that nobody really knows the answer to so i'm trying to work out solutions so i tried to develop that kind of approach with with the children getting them to feel kind of more comfortable with uncertainty than with certainty. Um, and during, and so then I became very involved with developing ways of presenting the curriculum um, uh, where the children would enjoy thinking 
creatively through it, having new ideas of the learning that we're doing, thinking critically. And I became very, very involved with the world of philosophy and the philosophical approach to learning. Yes. Um, and I've, I guess I've, I've always thought that children are sort of born natural philosophers. Um, they're, you know, they've, when they're very little, they're always asking why and how and they're wondering and everything's exciting and there's kind of a very philosophical kind of open-ended um, scenario for them and in terms of the human nature and I, I with my wonderful heads in Bristol we, we always wanted to keep that to keep nurturing that yeah. um, that side of that, that don't they? especially going towards high school yes yes exactly that kind of yeah and the, Thinking philosophically also meant that the children were able to really bring in uh, to, or to function within what's called a community of inquiry in the classroom, which really fascinates me. The, the sort of a values-based approach to um, co cohabiting the, the, the classroom, having uh, everyone's views being valued equally, um, seeing things from different perspectives, thinking, oh, you know, very openly looking at different ways of different kind of different ways of looking at the same problem it's always been really interesting and being a, a, open to change and all sorts of things so i've i've i, I then did a, a lot of work around um sort of introducing the lesson through a philosophical learning objective of a philosophical question that acted as the learning objective and it was just so with all these with all these kind of ways of presenting learning and being with the children and creating those conditions in the classroom, I began to see amazing things and the amazing things were all um, kind of all grew out of the intrinsic motivation that the children were developing as a result of the the, the environment the, the environment in which they were learning. Yeah. And that's what, you know, and still fascinates me now, the, how we can present the learning so that um, the children, the students feel intrinsically motivated to want to engage yeah. with it rather than feeling they have to engage um, yeah. uh, and, and being forced to engage. Um, and um, so all this led to, you know, various ways of um presenting the learning and structuring the days with the children in the classroom. And then when we moved, um, we then moved um, in 2006 uh, to Brighton. Um, and I took the opportunity to go into senior leadership, uh, which was really fascinating. And, um, and, and then headship until recently um, of a couple of primary schools. And it was really interesting because then I was trying to develop what I was establishing in classroom setups as a whole school oh, so a whole school and that's where i i then started to realize um particularly when i was head of uh, an infant uh, and nursery school my first headship that all the amazing things that we were seeing in both children and adults and families arose from the times when uh, fear and worry was removed from the setting from and, and from the process of learning and that's when i realized that um that's when i sort of coined the phrase of the joy of not knowing because 
um, I realized that that it was really interesting to share with the children that in order to learn something new, you have to not know it first. Yeah, um, and that's not a problem sort of thing, yeah. Which is, yeah, because we tend, you know, as, as, as human beings, we tend to be to feel really well when we are... When we know the answer, when we're certain about things, when we, you know, when children put their hand up and they know the answer, they're really happy, aren't they? And yeah. the teacher's really happy. Yeah. But it's really interesting. And from very, very uh, early on, you know, from the early years to, to make children realize that going through that process means that they're not really learning anything new if, if they know the answer to some things, which is it's quite it's deep and philosophical, isn't it? So. When children start to realize that in order to learn something new, they have to not know it first, then the not knowing becomes a, a place of excitement, a place of enthusiasm, a place of opportunity and a place of support and togetherness and community. So so it was really, really interesting to coin that phrase, which is, I know it's quite counterintuitive counter in the world of education, but it's on purpose trying to really develop a, a sort of um, provocation and yes and and realization that uh, not knowing is actually the gateway to learning um, so we, we we're all in that position but why I'm really excited to chat with you today Helen is because what's key if we're placing students children in knowingly in a position of not knowing um, we're making them feel quite emotionally vulnerable and um you know there's we can't it's just human nature so what then i try to describe in the book is is the conditions that enable children to be in that knowingly in that position of not knowing um but feeling supported and able to thrive yeah and feel and a lot of uh the joy of not knowing approach uh, philosophy or of learning and, and school leadership is all i think if i can summarize this is all to do with self-esteem with how the children yeah. feel yeah um and that's when i also became very very interested in uh in terms of embracing the whole child's richness not just cognitive richness, which is what's usually you know, kind of sought or celebrated, yeah. but their their cultural and linguistic richness. Yeah. Um, and having been born uh, in Argentina myself, um, I came over when I was eleven and came went straight into secondary school in North London, fantastic school, Highgatewood School in Crowdchair, which I adored and, in fact, stayed. Uh, to the sixth form and then worked as a lab technician there so it was an amazing place wow. for me but the first six months I couldn't speak a word of English and um, the, you know the school had a great setup in terms of special withdrawal and special English classes and you know at that age you quickly build it up but I guess that that also formed me in, in terms of thinking in those first six months um, whether opportunities for me to engage with the learning because cognitively I could, yeah. but linguistically I couldn't. But I, but, but it wasn't that I couldn't do it. It's just that it wasn't presented to me in a way that I could access it, say, yeah. with my with my mother tongue. Um, so I've, yeah, as you've seen, I I close the book with something that's really, really, really exciting for me, and 
again, it's it's I'm it's it's an idea that it's been um, it, it's kind of a suggestion or an idea to try out, and I'm really fascinated with various schools and people that are having a go at this and see and see what happens. I'm I'm really aware that it's um, it's unusual and it's um, it may not fit in, in in every context, but the the principle I think is really fascinating. If we, you know, if if you imagine the children walking into the class every day, you know, just all the thirty children, there is so much cultural and linguistic richness that walks in. Yeah. How do we embrace that, but not just embrace it in kind, of, you know, one of days. Um, when we celebrate one of these, but it, every second of the day as part of the teaching and learning process, how how do we embrace that? Yeah. So I've developed um, a way of, of doing that, which I call uh, multiling, bilingual and multilingual thinking in multicultural classrooms. And that's the, the chapter that closes, um, that closes the book. Um, and the idea is that... Um, and I'd be fascinated to, you know, people listen to this and have a go and you know, we can discuss how it, how it goes. It's very experimental. The idea is that the teacher or the culture in the classroom, even the teacher, after a while, the teacher doesn't even have to say it. But the culture in the classroom is such that the child feels able to engage with the learning. So the first engagement with the learning is using the whole richness of language that they have rather than just the restrictive for particularly for Yale children um, use of just the language of instruction yes um, so what I describe to enable teachers to kind of place this in context are three different modes so for example um, poetry is a really good example so for example say children are writing a, a you know that the learning objective is, is to write a poem um, um, you, you usually just say in language instruction that could for that could represent a, a real barrier to EAL children um, who may not have um, you know that that kind of real knowledge of, of English yet um, but imagine and, and it works brilliantly that to say to the children you can write it in your language of choice first yeah and then there's a process you know every teacher will see the process of then translating it or putting in you know the equivalent in english at at, at some stage but but what i'm what i think is really really fascinating is that that child has engaged fully with the learning um, with the objective, without barriers being in place, but also, as Nelson Mandela said, um, if you s speak to um, somebody in the language of instruction, it goes to their head. But if you talk to them in their language, it goes to their heart. So what I'm really interested in is the kind of emotional literacy of, of, of children and, um, and feeling that if we enable the initial engagement to be in the language of choice then the child feels emo emotionally engaged i you know if i'd been allowed asked permitted to write a poem in spanish i you know i i've been so emotional and so yeah. 
what you know because that's is, and you bring your culture experiences your life your everything comes up and then there are two other ways that i suggest um that this could happen in as part of the everyday life and then it becomes very um uh you don't have to specify but children just choose which one of the three um the second one is where it's a little bit more structured by the teacher so um the teacher may say the first verse in one language the second verse language of instruction and so on so it's kind of structured and you can do that for all sorts of things and the third one which is really really fascinating which i find now is my preferred way of communicating if people if i'm with somebody that speaks both english and spanish span english is my very favorite you know, I just mix in the two, yeah. which is, you know, the, what's now known as the, the translanguaging um, approach, where children engage and use the language as best comes to them, and is a co complete mixture of all their, of the whole repertoire that they that they have. Um, but I, it, it works so so well, Helen, and it's so exciting because. What research also shows, and I, I have found, is that everyone benefits from this enormously. So, so there's been a lot of research that a, a multilingual environment is is very helpful cognitively f for everyone. Yeah. Um, but when when we do it, I always say to the children, you know, because we've had input from uh, different languages within the, the exercise we've that we do we've all learned yeah. you know how to say happiness in japanese or you know is 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 something that builds a very rich you know multinational culture in in the classroom as, as part of the everyday rather than waiting for a special day and everyone says yeah. hello in their own language you know it's, it's yeah. I'm really interested in the in the everydayness, and I've got um, you know if people are interested, lots and lots of practical examples of how students, uh, children from very young, have naturally just engaged um, with their learning in in um, in more than the language of instruction. So embedding that culture, isn't it? And I think I've written down there that um, I find it so refreshing to read uh, your book. Like, love the real life worked examples. You know, hearing about it working in practice is brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm really, I'm really pleased. That's that's the the, the what I wanted to do throughout the book is fill it with all the amazing things that I've been collecting in the last twenty years of you know really exciting things that have happened. So that's that's the book. It's just a collection of um, of of examples in practice that that have led to 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 really. Um, unexpectedly wonderful things um, happening that go way beyond the expectation of the teacher. You know, that's yeah. what excites me when when children take things broader and deeper and than you could have that, ever imagined. That you could ever imagine. And that, to me, that's what education is for. If we're preparing them for um, to function in society, we want. Um, you know we want to create students children who are able to um to think broader than than just the 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 instructions or more creatively or deeper or bring in their the own ideas um yeah so yeah so throughout um throughout there's hundreds of examples that was the most difficult bit of writing the book <laughs> Have, well well having to get in touch with all these 
children sort of 10, 15, 20 years on and saying, can I use your amazing mind map or can I use your amazing menu? Um, and getting, because Routledge required actual permission, signed permission from the child, so, from the person. So, yeah. But reconnecting, reconnecting with them was, was yeah. amazing because then it also shows, and I love to do a kind of case, proper case study, that every single child, as it was then, that I contacted are now doing great things. They're all, you know, at university. They're all in entrepreneurs. They're all, and they all remember. They all say, all started, you know, when we were doing philosophy in year five. Or, yeah, they remember those lessons, uh, which is just magical, isn't it, for um, education? So yeah, yeah, it does. It, it was it's really lovely to to see that legacy as well. I've um, also written down here about the um, idea of the six interlocking domains of the philosophy um, and the approach, and the fact that they're so sort of straightforward. But when they're working together, it sort of gives that whole school approach. Do you want to talk about those six? Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Yeah, that's so perceptive of you, Helen, to have picked that up because when when writing the book i wanted it to be a very practical guide for teachers but as well for school leaders yeah. um and the way i imagined was to um uh, that that would be really useful is is to develop sort of six key concepts that would drive um that the drives whole the whole school ethos and vision uh, and philosophy of education so the school as a community is a starting point because I think that's what's really, really transformational in terms of how children feel um, as part of the school. And working, done a lot of work where to get the, the, the to get a very strong triangular partnership between the the child, the school, um, and the family. Family at home, yeah. And it, that's and they, again, that's to do with embracing the multicultural aspect of every family and the richness that every family can can bring. So that um, embedding that within the culture and DNA of the school, I think, is was, is, is really the driving force. I'll just give you a, li a little example of, of how that works. I, yeah. um, in order to make that come alive, I developed the concept of um, thinking in playgrounds. Um, and, and that's uh, create. I, it involves creating a blackboard in the playground or a whiteboard but we had a really big blackboard um by the shed as you probably on this one side of a, of a shed is so and every morning i'd, I'd put a um an open-ended question or a challenge on there or a philosophical question i think in school starter um, and leave chalk out and it was just incredible how this was before school so families would come in i'd greet them at the gate and then they'd run to the blackboard to see what the question was and for the families to all you know they had five ten fifteen minutes to just love putting all their ideas um on the blackboard which just so so special um and that sense of community and that sense of yeah. right from the beginning um, children to see the parents or the families loving education loving learning it's just exactly well, and a lot of the families used to say this is the only time we get to enjoy learning school yeah. together without the interruptions of tea or home life or you know and and there's a, but it was it became really transformational because um we used it 
very much to link the school with the with the the sense of the of being part of a larger community so not just the local but the national and global community okay. um and to bring in and um and value the contributions all the families knew could be in in language of choice so through every type of all times they were um contributing in in, in loads of languages um but one of the most fascinating memories that i have was i was they had there when um do you remember the Chilean miners got stuck in the yes, yes. so so the day they were rescued um I just put on the board messages uh, to the miners because that was that morning they were... I just can't tell you how every family wrote such deep and wonderful messages in their own language you know in their language yeah. um language of choice um, and then we sent them all to them, but it, it just, it was wow. such a special moment. Um, uh, so yes, yeah, so to that amazing, amazing community there, don't you, after moments like this? Yeah, sense of community. We also developed um, concepts of community Sundays where we'll come in and all work towards something that would improve the school. So an outdoor classroom or vegetable patch or, you know, also, so we had the idea and, and parents, families would come in and, some would help some would have soup going and you know that sense that it's that the school as a community going beyond what's what happens in the classroom yeah it's always really fast fascinating um me um yeah the second one the culture and ethos for learning um that's where i believe that um it's making everyone feel able to thrive with the learning so um what i did again which is quite an, an interesting experiment was to remove all the rules from the school and just have a set of values that we all um uh, that were democratically voted for um so we're, it was caring thoughtful respectful um that sort of thing so we live through the set of values which is amazing and that was uh together with you know democratic um decision making um and the sort of community of inquiry all all that gave that sense that we were developing a culture and ethos i bet you know it's a big change after doing that for learning yeah but it was it was so involved in the decision making it's it's huge isn't it huge yes and so all the children um all i de- we developed a system where um which is de- described um in the book at, at length where you um go through a, a whole process of involving the families and the children in a in a question and then pulling all the ideas together um and ending up with a ballot paper um that summarizes all the main ideas and then setting the school up for one day as a polling station and mimicking the exact process where all the families all the children all the staff all the grandparents the whole community would come in and vote properly you know the same system the governors were the returning officers you know everything was set up and then the top six in those votes counted by the children um would become our became our values um so yeah it's that kind of ethos and and culture and um 
that I, I really love to um, to develop. And the third one is really exciting because I always wanted learning to be associated with um, uh, well-being and happiness rather than um, seen seen as um, something that's that's problematic or or, or emotion. Yeah. Um, so the the enjoyment of learning how to learn became really interesting, and um, as you see, the the main backbone of the book is dedicated to what's called the Learning to Learn Week. Okay. Um, so all these amazing, lovely ideas that I was having, uh, you know, during my whole time in education, I suddenly realised that it's it would be a really good idea to actually teach those things before children start learning. So I developed the concept of the learning to learn week, which which now many schools are launching the academy year with. Yeah. So it's um it's presenting um lots of different things every day of the weeks which enable the, the children to feel able to thrive when they then start to meet the learning. So it's equipping them with all the skills, its positions, the values, developing the classrooms, uh, setting the ethos, you know, setting everything in place first, but equipping them with that kind of toolbox um, of success. Yeah, yeah. So which really then pays off during the year um, massively in terms of how they how they all feel and and that makes them all feel like experts of learning it makes them all feel able to thrive they all feel equally intelligent yeah Um, and there's lots of models that we share with the children to make them all feel equally valued as learners they all develop their own model of learning it goes up on the wall you know all sorts all sorts of things but yeah um and um and then i also wanted to um, develop the idea of the excitement of the teaching of the learning. So I was very keen um, to place a lot of emphasis in in how the teaching profession can go in every day, feeling really excited about what they're going to do and how they're going to teach and inspire the children. So there's a lot around the model of excellence enjoyment um, uh, in in the book, which is dedicated to um, to teachers being able to sort of have a sense of um, um, a, a kind of timeline of of ideas for for the lessons on how to at, at each stage promote a real love um, a love for for learning um, and collaboration and school leadership. Um, really really interesting in terms of developing um teachers who would work um not just with other schools but within our school in what we call multi-professional teams so every every priority that the school had in the school development plan um there was one team made out of every member of staff so the cleaners the caretakers the admin staff everyone joined a team and drove that priority forwards, and it was just so so special throughout the year. Um, and then children as learning leaders also joined those groups, so right, it was okay. child child led. And then the children would also create their own version of the school development plan. So it's all that kind of collaborative, collaborative thinking, um, le- learning together. Yeah, I want to and lifelong learning beyond the school was 
incredible because that's the work that we did in Bristol that you know links the lifelong learning dispositions of resilience and curiosity and creativity strategic awareness we link them with an animal um right. so the re the resilient tortoise for example but we also did the opposite so the passive um and curious so ch children could could see where they were going along those lines so, yeah so that's a kind of trying to Amazing. put it all together from a leadership point of view i guess yeah and that's where your whole school approach comes from doesn't it when you've got it from the top you know and it's embedded yes yes yeah 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 so um yeah oh i'm glad you like that page yeah no it's fantastic <laughs> I, I love that it's, it's, it's a it's an overview yes of, of everything yeah um and you've also recently worked on behalf of unicef um yes sort of policymakers, educators and textbook writers to help implement um a national curriculum in uzbekistan so fascinating helen the um um Unis uh, yes, yeah, so I was um, a consultant for UNICEF um, and Uzbekistan are going through one of the most wonderful um, processes that I can imagine. Their new reformed curriculum is so exciting and it's all based on creative, you know, very creative thinking, lifelong learning um, a approach. So I was, I've been for the last uh, two or three years helping them to produce um, curriculum and textbooks uh, in maths. So I was the, the math specialist. I had various others. Um, and it's just so wonderful to, to work with them, to be with them, to create um, things that are now being implemented. They keep sending me photographs of the children doing these, oh, wow. you know, the, exciting open and the challenge and it's it's quite um yeah is is it's a really really fascinating and i've you know i've learned so much from um working with them yeah, that whole um, process. and was that led from the government was it is it all schools uh it's all is government yeah it's wow. all government yeah so it's all government policy that then um uh, is implemented through um through textbooks and through um a lot of cpd for teachers as yeah. well so yeah wow that must yeah. Be really exciting yeah really really exciting yeah yeah really exciting and i brought in a lot of the multilingual ideas um in, into their into their textbooks as well and their pedagogy so wow, yeah exciting. really really exciting yeah uh, and then you've also worked with um coram in the children's charity uh, where you've run courses and advised a number of schools um what work did you do with this charity and what impact has ha that had on the sort of schools and settings you've worked with yeah so with with quorum uh it's fascinating the um it's one of the most wonderful charities that you can imagine um based in london and working so um richly with um in so many ways with that you know they've got thousands of schools that they reach out um to they um uh so they've got things from you know they, they they've got this great thing called scarf which is a um a program that schools uh use to um deliver pshe um, and rsc curriculum they they do lots and lots of work um around um this you know disadvantage and all, all sorts of things but my particular role with them is was uh sort of running master classes okay um uh on saturday morning so 
children. Uh, we're, st we're still running them. Uh, it's called Tomorrow's Achiever. So it's um, getting children to come and spend uh, a Saturday doing a masterclass. And I do math, science, philosophy um, uh, with them. And um, yeah, it's really, really, really fascinating. And I also do some enrichment days in schools to, to then go into school and model those ideas in every class during the day um yeah so set up for sort of university thinking isn't it for yes exactly exactly so it's um, really high school um these sort of high achievers would go into like another school and each teacher would choose a topic that they don't usually teach but that they have exactly, exactly so that model helen yeah so it's really aspirational and yeah and um trying to um uh, reach out as as many children as possible to have these um, these opportunities. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's fantastic. That's yeah, really fascinating. Yeah. Um, and the theme for International Mother Language Day um, this year is multilingual education: a necessity to transform education, which I think's um, very well linked to your book and to yourself. <laughs> um, what advice yeah. would you offer to educators across the country to sort of implement this in their settings? You know, some people I find. Some educators that might be listening are a bit scared sometimes on where to start. What would you advise them? Yes, um, I think probably if, if they're lucky enough to have native speakers of other languages in their classroom, start start with them. Um, but all, all sorts of ideas, just, just have a go um, at, uh, for example, taking the register in the morning in different languages is, is really, really just a very easy and fascinating way of just just launching but um um and enabling you know looking at um what i find really interesting is looking at the the root of lots of words that we use what language do because we have so many words from so many different languages yeah. that can be a really a, a really lovely approach and then to be you know to to let children feel free to engage as we were saying earlier to engage with with the learning in um in the language of of choice um it's those three approaches you've talked about at the end of your book would be a brilliant way to start wouldn't they they would be so good i yes exactly either one language and then the other or or structured or or mixed um and using the opportunity of um schools that, you know, key stage two teaching MFL and maybe some key stage, some some schools doing key stage one and early years, but in, in key stage two, they all teach um, MFL using the learning from those from those lessons to um, to complement the, the learning all the time rather than just as a standard, just it, yeah. rather, than, rather than as one off to kind of um, include all the words or the learning or the fascinating in in throughout throughout yeah um but just i uh, think experiment i think it's that's the uh, experiment without worry and playing i what i found is really 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 wonderful is just playing music as the children come in so the idea of children coming in as you see in chapter seven, they welcome by a thinking skill starter, an open-ended challenge they can succeed. But as they come in, there's music playing always in, in the classroom. And that, to make that multicultural 
is really fascinating and in assemblies as well. So to use music as a vehicle of uh, for language um, for for different languages is yeah. is a really really good way to do it. Children love listening to um, songs from other in other languages uh, or music in other languages. So. Yeah. yeah, you often Lots remember. Of you still remember songs that you got taught in, say, French and Spanish at school, don't you? So yeah, 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 yeah. And then look at you know if you're doing looking at the history of folk music or you know the lots, lot you know lots and lots of tradition with music. If um if yeah, but also to get in touch. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> just get just get in touch, and we'll talk through any ideas together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so would you like to, is there a website or any contact details? I can put them in the bio of the podcast as well. Yes, yes, we'll put we'll put all the contact details on the bio. Yeah, there's a website and and um, and, and the email. Yeah, yeah, so. Yeah, that'd yeah. be amazing. And, um, and, so um, and, all, they can send yeah, and lots of Twitter and LinkedIn to keep keep adding ideas to to our conversations through, through such an exciting community now where yeah. everybody is willing to ask questions and bounce ideas off and yeah really absolutely time, isn't it? yeah 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 but the the main idea is, is to develop a conversation i really look forward to i really hope that um to to look at all this in, in a very open-ended way because um it's 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 the thinking together that leads to really good answers and developments yeah 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 there's nothing prescriptive it's all ideas to be shaped by in 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 everyone's context yeah and that's it and those real life examples um are really important and you know i think people can really relate to those definitely yes and those are examples to get the thinking going i i don't i never mean for those to be prescriptive um but yeah things loads of ideas if people get in touch um because things like playing scrabble um, yeah. You know, you saw the example of the Scrabble where they can play with their families. They can play in in any, using words from any language that they like, and you know, just thinking yeah, of the words to do with a topic. A board games club, you know, at lunchtime and yeah, really yes. well for languages. Yes, yeah. So yeah, yeah, all all sorts of ideas. But um, I would love to hear um, the ideas that teachers are currently using as well yeah. really would love to hear what everyone is doing to promote um, mother languages and as part of the daily routine yeah uh, well thank yeah. you for being here today and sharing your brilliant ideas and knowledge i feel really privileged to have spoken to you today and i'm thankful that we can share this chat with our listeners and hopefully it'll come to new things thank you so much helen it's been such a pleasure chatting with you yeah, I'm really, really grateful to um, come onto your show. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Helen Bodell from Twinkle EAL. We have over 650,000 resources and you can find all of our EAL resources at www.twinkle.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and Pinterest by searching Twinkle EAL. Why not subscribe to our podcast? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music and RedCircle.com. You can also give us a review and if you have any questions you'd like answering on our podcast, please get in touch on our social channels.